Welcome to Set for Life with Pastor Ray Jensen. You can find us at setforliferadio.com. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. So let's listen from God's Word, verse by verse, on how we can prepare for the coming of the Lord and Messiah Jesus, who died on the cross, so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life if you give your heart and believe what He's done for you. You'll be set for life with the treasure stored up in heaven when you're through. You'll be set for life. Then I contended with the nobles of Judah and said to them, What evil thing is this that you do? by which you profane the Sabbath day. Did not your fathers do thus? And did not our God bring all this disaster on us and this city? Yet you bring added wrath on Israel by profaning the Sabbath. So it was at the gates of Jerusalem, as it began to be dark before the Sabbath, that I commanded the gates to be shut and charged that they must not be opened till after the Sabbath. Then I posted some of my servants at the gate so that no burdens would be brought in on the Sabbath day. Now the merchants and sellers of all kinds of wares lodged outside Jerusalem once or twice. Then I warned them and said to them, Why do you spend the night around the wall? If you do so again, I will lay hands on you. And friends, he didn't mean lay hands on to pray for them. He meant lay hands. I'm going to drag you out of here. Like He's tough, I'm telling you. I'll lay hands on you. From that time on, they came no more on the Sabbath, and I commanded the Levites that they should cleanse themselves and that they should go and guard the gates to sanctify the Sabbath day. Remember me, O my God, concerning this also, and spare me according to the greatness of your mercy. And I know exactly why he's asking the Lord God to spare him, because he knows that these leadership rules he's implementing are going to tick a lot of people off. He's stopping business. He's telling leaders, you're wrong. You have forsaken the house of God. You've done evil things. Cut it out. Stop it. You people get out of here. And the first thing he does is, oh, God, spare me. I just made a lot of people mad. (laughs) I hate to say that's part of the burdens of um, leadership is any leadership, but a lot to do in a ministry. I had a young fellow said, hey, Ray, I think I'm I'm called to ministry. I said, really? Let's talk. So we talked, and um, I said, how are you at taking criticism? How are you at taking people getting mad at you? I said, let me me put you in a scenario, because this has happened to me. I said, would you still pursue ministry if you lost your family and all your friends? He goes, no, I don't know if I could do that. I said, you better go rethink if you're called or not, because it's probably going to happen. He goes, why is it happening to you? I said, oh, yeah. He goes, you lost your whole family? I said, not all of them, but a lot of them. I said, you need to weigh this out. You're not going to be well-liked sometime. And, I, you know, I, looking at Nehemiah, you're either, you're either put up on a pedestal, you're the most wonderful thing, or you're the most hated guy in the, in the room. It just depends on what you're having to deal with. So he said, Lord God, please spare me according to the greatness of your mercy. I asked the Lord the same thing. Lord God, oh, I'm going to have to make a decision. There's some people who are not going to like it. But Lord God, spare me. Please help me. Lord, you deal with that. I. I'm just here to do what you called me to do. I'm just trying to relate personally with Nehemiah. I feel what he's, what he's dealing with. It's rough. 
So Nehemiah, he did what should have been done a long time ago. He locked the doors, traders, go away, and he put guards at the gates so that nobody tried to sneak in during the night. And this, well, you know, we'll wait till Nehemiah goes to sleep, and then we'll, we'll come make a big deal, a uh, business deal, and we'll get out of here. And he's, no, he put guards up there. You notice that Nehemiah threatened the sellers outside with physical force if they hung around. I will lay hands on you. I will hurt you if you try to. <laughs> I'm just telling you what's in the book. Calm down, Ray. You're getting a little riled up. No, I'm just trying to give you the sense of what Nehemiah is saying here. Physical force. A lot of people read this and they think, oh, that's not right of Nehemiah to be like that. He, he could have handled it nicer. That's not very Christian. Can you catch the context of the story, what these people were trying to do to the temple? They were trying to destroy it. They were trying to destroy their culture, destroy their living. Somebody come and took your job from you, and you had to go find some other way to scratch a living up? Would you not be a little upset? No nice way to handle it. I mean, if a snake crawled into my backyard where my grandson is playing, I'm not going to be nice to the snake. I'm going to get a shovel and chop his head off. You've got to deal with it. It's, it's a threat. The snake is a threat to my grandson. You're not going to be nice to a snake. So the snake is going to face severe physical force. All you dads out there that have daughters, tell me if you would not absolutely wring the neck of any guy that tries to violate your daughter. You see the way Nehemiah is taking this? Friends, I want you to understand the way God takes his family very serious. When the enemy tries to mess with God's people, God takes it this serious. Righteous anger. Righteous anger and righteous force to protect the Israelites, those that God loved and those that Nehemiah loved. This is very serious stuff. Sometimes you got to get like this. Nehemiah 13 and 23. In those days, I also saw Jews who had married women of Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. See, here's this Ammonite-Moabite intermarriage still. And half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod and could not speak the language of Judah, but spoke according to the language of one or the other people. Now, this isn't, if this ain't evidence enough, you think it can't get any worse. You've got little kids running around not even knowing how to speak Hebrew because the intermarriage is back in. He'd been gone a few years. There's enough time for some kids to learn how to talk, and they're not even speaking the language they ought to know how to say. Recently, we had read the Israelites had separated themselves from their foreign wives. And the danger in that was because they, the foreign wives would make the Israelites turn away from God and follow their false gods. Well, now Nehemiah found intermarriage happening again, kids running around not speaking Hebrew. You know that there's been a lot of false god adoption going on in in the culture already. Now, remember again the agreement that they promised to keep. I'm going to take you back to what they said they would do in Nehemiah 10 and 30. It says, we would not give our daughters as wives to the people of the land, nor take their daughters for our sons. But here they were already violating that agreement. They already fell right back into paganism all over again. So fast. You see how fast we slip? And this disobedience always provokes the wrath of God to fall on them. And God put them under 70 years of captivity. And how quickly they forgot what happens when their disobedience provokes God's wrath. Nehemiah didn't want to face it again. Nehemiah 13.25, so I contended with them. And look at this, and cursed them. 
struck some of them. I, I told you this was John Wayne, guys. Look at this. And I struck some of them and pulled out their hair and made them swear by God, saying, You shall not give your daughters as wives to their sons, nor take their daughters for your sons or yourselves. Did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin by these things? See, this is where they got it from. Solomon married all those women. Yet among many nations, there was no king like him who was beloved of his God, and God made him king over all Israel. Nevertheless, pagan women caused even him to sin. Should we then hear of your doing all this great evil, transgressing against our God by marrying pagan women? He was saying, look, guys, if this intermarriage could mess up a super mega strong king like Solomon, it can mess you up even worse. Even Solomon wasn't wise enough to not let this mess him up. It's going to mess you up, he said. Now, gosh, he was angry, pulling people's hair and cursing them and hitting people. I'm sure this made people angry. Who are you to tell me I can't be married to her? And started pushing and shoving, so I'm not having it. They got into a scuffle, as mad as he was. The worst thing that Nehemiah could ever do to these people is nothing compared to what the wrath of God could do to them. And he was trying to get them to understand that. You don't like me pulling your hair and hitting you and cursing you? Wait till you see what God's going to do to you for breaking this law. You know, I got to thinking about it. This could be that Nehemiah pulled out some of the men's beards. It was an insult for a Jew to not have a beard. And they insulted Jesus the same way before his crucifixion. They, they, ripped it, they plucked his beard out. So it was kind of an insult thing. It's kind of like he was telling them, you are an insult of a Jew. And he pulled their hair, pulled their beards out. Look at you. This is what you are. Straighten up. He was trying to show them with great wrath and with insult that the Lord God would do worse to them if they did not obey him. Oh, you know, you got to think through your week or your month or whatever and think, oh, Lord, I failed you here. Lord, I failed you in this thing. Lord, I got mad at you on this day. And you start realize it starts mounting up the list, you know, of the things you did against the Lord. And you realize what he could do to you if he had his way, but he's being very patient. Now, we have to consider that Nehemiah had lived through a lot of the 70-year captivity in Babylon, and so he was very driven to see to it that the Israelites didn't find themselves right back under the same captivity again for turning away from the Lord. Any of you ever had grandparents that are people you know that lived through the Depression? They had very little, and they were very adamant that you don't waste food, you don't waste money, and they were on you about it. And you're like, gosh, what's your deal? They lived that. And they don't want to see it come back again. See, Nehemiah is like, you don't want to come back to this. And he did whatever it took to get these people to snap out of it. You know, I talk to people that are living in sin, and they say, well, it's my life. I'm not hurting anybody. Oh, yeah, you are. Your sin hurts other people. Look at all the people in the, in the chapter that's been hurt by all this. Sin causes bondage. And Nehemiah's like, you don't even, you're not even thinking about the 70 years. We're not going back. Nehemiah 13 and 28. You think it can't get worse. And one of the sons of Joiada, the son of Eliashib, the high priest, was a son-in-law of Sanballat the Horonite. Therefore, I drove him from me. Remember them, O my God, because they have defiled the priesthood and the covenant of the priesthood and the Levites. Thus, I cleansed them of everything pagan. I also assigned duties to the priests and the Levites, each to his service and to bringing the wood offering. 
and the first fruits at appointed times. Remember me, oh my God, for good. I think we need to get used to saying that right there. Verse 29 says, one of the sons of the high priest was son-in-law to Sanballat. Do you remember who Sanballat was? Sanballat and Tobiah were, they were sidekicks. They hung out together. They were like Lone Ranger and Tonto. But I want to take you back to when Nehemiah first came to rebuild the wall around Jerusalem in Nehemiah 2 and 10. It says, when Sanballat, there he is, when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard of it, they were deeply disturbed that a man had come to seek the well-being of the children of Israel. So Sanballat and Tobiah are both two peas in a pod. Sanballat had one of his daughters intermarry straight into the priesthood. Here we go. Tobiah was in there directly in the temple, but Sanballat did it through intermarriage. They were trying to take over. They were blocking the Lord's tithing. They were trying to work things terribly wrong from the inside. They were desecrating the temple. They were contaminating the priesthood with the sin of intermarriage and the sin of disobedience. And you just know that it wasn't going to be long. They were going to bring false god worship into the temple. So Nehemiah drove that guy out of town. Now, I'm under the impression that Nehemiah was one tough hombre. Now, it's amazing how we have read 12 chapters about Nehemiah working to get Jerusalem back in order with God, but within just a few years, the people had already stopped reading God's Word, which means they turned their backs on God's Word. They were sliding right back into the same mess that they had spent 70 years trying to get out of, and now they're heading right back into it again. I'm going to tell you again, whenever people stop reading God's Word, that's when they start doing things their own way. When you read God's Word, it tells you how you should live. It tells you the things you should obey. When you don't know what God wants you to do, you will do things the way you think is right. Proverbs 14 and 12 says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Let me give you a quick equation to live by. Whatever you think is right ain't right. If you're not reading God's Word, I promise you what you think is the right way to do things, it ain't the right way to do it. Jump in His Word and find out how you're supposed to conduct yourself. Now remember, we read in verse 1 of this chapter, it says that Nehemiah had the book of Moses read aloud to the people. It's like we've got to hear God's Word. He didn't just go around telling people. He says, we're going to start with the reading of God's Word first. So they read it, and that's when they realized they were in violation. Same as in chapter 8. When Ezra read God's Word to them, they found out they were in violation. Every time we get away from studying God's Word, we start doing things the way we think it should be done, and that's what gets us in trouble with God. They hadn't read God's Word for just a few years, and they're already in this much trouble. I want to ask you, friend, how long has it been since you really made a habit of reading God's Word and that it became part of your normal routine every day? Did it fall off somewhere? If it did, pick it back up. I'm not enough Bible reading for you to get through your life. You've got to have more than that. Pick God's Word back up. When we get away from it, we start doing what we think is right. James 1.21, Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted Word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Some versions versions say, don't just listen to it, do what it says. Nehemiah was in there saying, hey, we made this document. 
you listened to it, but now you need to actually do what it says. And the ones that said no, we're not having it, and pushed him back, he pulled their hair, cursed them, struck them, and drove them out of town. <laughs> Whenever Israel stopped reading God's word, trouble crept in, and they had no idea it was even there. That's what I think is really the, the scariest part of the whole story. They didn't even realize the trouble that was going on until Nehemiah went to them with God's word and said, Look, you see this? God's house is forsaken. Why are you doing this evil thing? And the people were like, what? Well, who are you? And they, they pushed back. They, they had no clue. When we stop reading God's word, trouble kicks in, and you'll have no idea it's there until you read God's word. Sometimes I start recognizing people that don't read God's word and people that don't pray because they're always in my ear all the time. Today, most people that call themselves Christians, they spend zero time reading God's word. Nothing at all. And they have no idea the trouble that they're allowing into their life. They have no idea it's there. Think of Tobiah. He was living in the temple. He was looking holy and good. Oh, I got the money and the power. I'll make this place happen. He was looking so good. Sam Ballot's daughter was married into the priesthood. I'm sure somebody said, oh, God bless her. She lives with the priest now. She's married in the priesthood. That must be so wonderful. It looks so good. But it's not until you hold this up to God's word that you can just see how vile and corrupt it is. They thought all this was great until they held it to God's word and thought, oh, that doesn't look so good now, does it? Now they could see how corrupt the sin of doing things your own way actually is. When Tobiah moved his stuff in, he moved God's stuff out. How these people didn't see this, I don't know. But I come into contact with people, they have been away from God's word for so long, I recognize you have moved so much of God's stuff out of your life that no wonder this other trouble has come in. These people come in with mountain loads of trouble. Do you pray? No. Do you go to, do you go to God's word? No. Do you go to church? No. Do you... No wonder you're full of mess. You move God out. When you move God out, wickedness comes in. Whenever you live life your way, it's my life, my rules. No, you live your life your way. You've got that freedom to choose to do that. But that means you've moved God's way out. You can't have it both ways in this temple. And this temple of God, which we are, it's got to be God's way. You can't mix it with some of your way, some of his way. You've got to either decide... I, I'm either letting Tobiah in me or I'm letting God in me. Which way is it going to be? Make your decision. It's one or the other. Proverbs 14, 14. The backslider in heart will be filled with his own ways, but a good man will be satisfied from above. There's your choice, guys. And, you know, we need to treat our sin like Nehemiah did to Tobiah and Sanballat and kick those things out of town. You need to review your life. Consider your troubles. Consider your distresses. Let God show them to you. Oh, Lord, search me and show me what, I, what I've done you wrong. He'll show you. And once he starts showing you these things where, you, where you're off, let me put it in my terms. Once I see those bad things in my life, I better kick it out. Kick it out quick because it has replaced something of God. Kick it out. Make room in that space for God to come in. Guys, we've got to review ourselves in light of God's word. Don't just try to figure it out yourself. You've got to be in this book. You know, I can go eat lunch today. It's not going to do you any good. I'm the one that ate. You got to eat too. We got to treat our sin like Nehemiah did with Tobiah and Sad Mallet and kick those things out of town. Get them out of here. Drive them from you. Get them gone. 
Remember how Nehemiah cleansed the defiled priesthood of everything pagan. I want you to know, though, that even the worst sinner can be cleansed of everything sinful. Every sinner can be totally cleansed. Consider how, the, how cursed the Ammonites and the Moabites were in this chapter. I want to tell you about a well-known Moabite. Oh, those cursed Moabites. I want to tell you about a Moabite. Her name was Ruth. She told the Israelite Naomi, she said, Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. And this Moabite was cleansed of everything pagan, and she was so blessed that she became the great-grandmother of King David of Israel, which made her an ancestor of Jesus Christ. A Moabite. Isn't that something? No Moabites, get out of here. Well, she repented and said, I'm going to follow your God, and God cleansed her. I'm trying to make the picture that the worst of sinners in the worst of cultures, even of a cursed culture, can be cleansed and blessed by God. My point is, if a once cursed Moabite can repent, believe, and become an ancestor of Jesus, (laughs) then certainly a once cursed person like me can repent believe, and be blessed by God as well. We have to let God's Word give us the vision to be able to see all the Sanballats and all the Tobias that have snuck into our lives to defile us. If we will look, and like that he held the leadership accountable and against God's Word, first we read God's Word, now we're accountable. Now, look at this stuff that you have done. Friends, this is what church is about. I come in here and I read God's Word to you. We study God's Word together to where you now have something, to, a standard to hold it against, to go back to your life and review what's going on in your life and say, I see a sand ballot here and a Tobiah there. Lord God, forgive me and get it out of your life. Get it gone. Once we recognize where the sin is, we need to be ruthless with it, as Nehemiah was in driving it out. I want to show you how ruthless we're allowed to be with sin. Matthew 18, 9, Jesus is the one that said this, okay? He says, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. It is better for you to enter into life with one eye rather than having two eyes and be cast into hell fire. This is extreme language. You be as ruthless with sin as it takes. Once you recognize this, the Tobias and the Sambalats in your life and you say, okay, that's it. This stuff has to go. Well, a lot of people are going to get mad at you if you kick that sin out. Well, oh my God, spare me. I'm kicking it out. Nehemiah is a good example for us. Hey, Nehemiah pulled people's hair out. I don't think you're going to have to resort to that. <laughs> he pulled people's hair out. He hit them. He, he got fiery at the leadership. He drove people out of town to get things right. We need to be ruthless with sin and kick it out. But once you kick it out, God moves his stuff back in. And you can experience that peace and that joy and that blessing. Now, there's a good end to all of this for Nehemiah. Several times in this chapter, Nehemiah said, Oh my God, spare me according to your mercy. Remember me, O God, and don't blot out my good deeds that I did for you. I want to pray the same thing over all of us here because I know some of you are going to go off into getting some Tobias and Sam ballots out, and it's going to be messy, and you're not looking forward to it. But on the other side of it, God's praise gets reinstated back in. Friends, sin comes in and defiles your worship with God.
you for listening to Set for Life. We hope you can join us next time, unless Jesus returns for us first. Set for Life is the radio ministry of Pastor Ray Jensen. We invite you to subscribe to our podcast at setforliferadio.com. Hi, this is Ray Jensen. Thank you for giving me the opportunity to encourage you in God's Word. If the Bible doesn't excite you, then you're not reading it. I want you to remember that you are not worthless. You are priceless. Messiah Jesus died on the cross to redeem you so that you can be set for life. You'll be set for life.